good to see all of you here. Thank you again for last week. That was amazing, Todd. Appreciated all of you. Uh, appreciated all of the people who were here to celebrate this Sunday Star Trek. It was wonderful. It was a great time last week. Thank you for everything. How about we do this? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. We just pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes and our hearts so that we can see you in truth. You set us free. Lord, we are studying the Psalms right now. We just give you this time and pray, Lord, that we would see what David saw, what the other psalmists saw as well, which is your character of who you are in our lives. We pray, Lord, for understanding. Teach us, Holy Spirit. Psalm chapter 4. So there was this boy, and he grew up in a big city. He went to the school with the same name in the big city, the big city high school. He had friends there, but they weren't in the in crowd. They were kind of the outcasts. They were the kind of friends who hung out with them in each other's basements and play all kinds of different board games together. They wouldn't settle on any particular board game, but they had different role-playing games that they would play. Sometimes they would get to their favorite game. They worked together and they played and they'd go on these adventures together and they had a good time. But they were kind of outcasts. And this boy went to school one day and he was getting picked up himself up off the ground after everyone had left and his friends had come to him so that they helped him up. They would get picked on too. The other kids would laugh at this boy and his friends because they would wear unique outfits to school and have their favorite games. The boy would play on the computers during the lunchtime instead of going and being with everyone else. He'd kind of hang out in the computer lab. someone he could rely on. Now he looked to the older men in his life, his dad and his uncle, and they worked 50, 60 hours a week, and then they'd come home and they'd drink themselves to sleep. So he's not even worthy of even telling them what was going on to him at school. So he struggled with it because he didn't know what to do. And he lived this way for a long time, being picked on. All through middle school, really started in through high school, stand up for him against the bullies in his life. Didn't know what to do. Didn't know where to turn. But one day, something changed. 
one day he met someone who could do something about the bullies, met someone who could rescue him, who could save him in a time of need, and met someone who could give him relief from being picked on, who met someone that he could find that would give him a place of safety. Now I'm sure many of you have heard this kind of story before, maybe have read it in a book or you've seen it in movies. However, today we're going to see someone come in and give us something of relief from our worries and bullies in our lives. Someone who's going to help us to live and dwell in safety. I think these two things are of the utmost importance when we're talking about life, relief and safety. Many of us are looking for relief. Many of us are looking for safety, a place where we can dwell and call home and and not worry and not think about getting picked on or not worry about our jobs. And so we're looking for two things in our lives. And David was doing the same thing. He was looking for relief and safety. And this is not just for the people who wrote the Bible, but also for us today that we can find in the Lord. Have you found these two things in the midst of life? Are we finding today relief and safety? safety? Are we turning to ourselves? Are we turning to our circumstances? Are we turning to our government? Are we turning to our money? Are we turning to our friends, our homes, our 401ks? Where are we finding relief and safety? That's the real question I have for all of us today. Where are we finding relief and safety? Where can we look to find relief and safety? Because if it's not in the Lord, then hopefully you're going to see today that you can find it in God. That you can turn to the Lord in the midst of all your suffering, in the midst of your distress. You can find relief and you can find safety in God. That's the real message today. So we're going to see today Psalm 4. And we're going to open it up. We're going to go through the psalm together. We're going to see how David found it in the midst of his son trying to kill him still. Looks for God, relief, and safety. And we see the same thing. So let's look at it together. That's the title of this sermon <coughs> Psalm 4, Relief and Safety. So here it is, verse 1. To the choir master with string instruments of Psalm of David, verse 1. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer, David says. What's interesting is he says, You've given me relief. The word in Hebrew here is rahab. Relief means to make wide, to make spacious, to grow, to broaden, to actually, it says, to make roomy pastures for you. The God of righteousness when we call on Him, gives us roomy pastures in our distress. And David saw that same thing. In the midst of distress, God gave him something, a roomy pasture. God gave him relief in our times of need. Just like the boy who's looking for someone to come in and help, God is there in our distress to help us. He's gracious to us, and He hears our prayers. Now, people have asked me this before. 
it's kind of an interesting question. Does God answer all of my prayers? Yeah, He does. He answers every single one of our prayers. Now, here's the kicker. Just like a parent with a child, sometimes you have to be prepared to hear the answer of no. No. When we talked about it before, we talked about the kid in the line who wants the candy bar. But we're right here. Can I get the candy bar? No. And as you're witnessing this in a grocery store, you're seeing the kid arguing with mom and dad about getting a candy bar. The mom is saying to the kid, no. And so sometimes we ask of God, says to us, no. Now, we might not like that, but God does answer all of our prayers. So sometimes we need to be prepared to hear no. And like I've talked about this before, many of our prayers are wrongly asked, or we ask for the wrong things. So what do I mean by that? Well, James actually tells us what the problem is when we wrongly ask for something in prayer. Listen to what he says. James chapter says this. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Verse 5, do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. Therefore, it said God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. This is the best verse that I have had in my life since I started being a Christian all those many years ago. Verse 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's one of my life verses. And then right after that, verse 8, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. This last week for me, I've been humbled. The last couple weeks, I've been humbled, getting sick right before Easter and thinking to myself, what are you doing, God? This is Easter week. I want to be there. I want to do this. Don't make me get sick. I, what, what did I do wrong? I mean, I was licking the door handles on church, but I don't get it. And so I got sick on Wednesday and Thursday, and then I started recovering Friday, Saturday, and we were here Sunday, and it was a great time. And then Tuesday, Noah. Then Thursday, <laughs> kidney stones. By the way, the nurse in the hospital said to me, kidney stones are just as bad as giving birth. I was like, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> and then Katie said to me, uh-uh, buddy, you got to do it at least four more times now. I'm like, oh. draw near to God. That was 
is a big thing for me, is drawing near to God will draw near to you. Learning to be humble in the midst of all the things that are going on. God humbled me this week. And then, of course, Joel, Friday night, he got sick. He's just going through the house. I just feel badly, but I'm also praying that we're drawing near to God. It was really kind of sweet because yesterday, Saturday afternoon, Joel wakes up from a nap at about 7, 30, 8 o'clock at night. He comes downstairs and he goes, I feel really bad, Dad. I said, you feel bad? He goes, yeah. I said, well, what can I do to help you? He goes, no, 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 I feel bad because I haven't read the Word today. I was like, oh, that's okay, buddy. You've been sick. I mean, you can just go listen to it on your iPad because I got him an app that he can download and listen to things. He's like, yeah, just a, maybe I should do that. I was like, that's great, man. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. And it's very humbling because in the midst of all the struggling and suffering, all I'm thinking about is how do I clean everything and how do I help Katie and how do I do it? And I wasn't thinking about how do I draw near to God. And my son humbled me because in the midst of distress, he's like, I want to draw near to God. And he felt badly because he loved me. That's why we have problems in prayer, because we ask with all the wrong motives, and we need to ask for God's will to be done. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching us how to pray in the Sermon on the Mount. Your will be done, Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Psalm 4 says, be gracious to me and hear my prayers. That's what God does. In the midst of distress, God listens to us when we call out to Him. That's what David's asking of God. We can do the same thing with the right motives because God will listen to us. But what happens to us, verse 2 from today's passage, is interesting. It says this, O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. Thank you. 
still all looking for punishment. We're looking for relief. Many of us look to relief in all different ways. Or maybe I look to relief in finding the right spouse. Or maybe I look to relief in finding the right job. Or maybe I look to relief in finding the right 401k mutual fund that's going to give me thousands and millions of dollars when I retire. Many of us look to relief in all the areas when we could be looking to the creator of everything who gives us true relief. start to pass on from generation to generation, what are we looking for relief in? I know I was told that I need to go to college. When I go to college, I'm going to get a degree. When I get a degree, I'm going to make six figures. And once I make six figures, I can buy my house with my white picket fence. I can have two cars, a wife, and two children, and everything's going to be hunky-dory. And then I'll just put my money away and I'll save till I retire because I'm only going to work for 30 years, maybe 35 if I really feel spry. And that's going to be the greatest life I've ever had. That's what I was told. That was my bill of goods that was sold to me. And I realized through all of it, it's meaningless. It meant nothing to me. It wasn't until I started to turn to God that I realized that of it. I was looking at it going, okay, I'm making 19 bucks an hour working at a grocery store. This is my grocery store because God gave me this job. God gave me this money. How do I honor him in everything that I do? Now, trust me, I'm not perfect. I struggle. Four o'clock in the morning, (laughs) it's not easy to try and put stuff on a shelf and be happy about it. And for me, I'm kind of a a awake guy anyway. You put some coffee in me, I'm annoyed. Especially at 4 o'clock in the morning. And I'm running around and getting stuff done. Because I look to God to fulfill my desires. Not to my job, not to my money, not to my circumstances. I was looking to God because that's what God was teaching me and what it meant to be humble. Because we're called to be different. That's not easy for Christians to understand. We are called to be different than the world around us. Psalm 
still and know that I am God. That's a hard thing to do for many Americans, many people in general. We are to be angry with sin, especially sin that's promoted and celebrated in the church. We need to be angry when sin is promoted in the church. But we don't sin in our anger. There's a difference. Because when we sin in our anger, it causes problems. It doesn't produce righteousness. But it turns people away from God. And it turns people to their ways, not God's ways. We need to learn that in our anger... And by the way, here's something very interesting. This is for us in the church. We can't expect someone outside of the church to follow God's ways... In fact, in Romans 8, it says they can't even do that. They don't even know how to do what is right because they are so blinded to the truth. And so I get it. I, I get it. I'm, I'm driving down the road. I realize that I get angry at drivers, but I've learned this stop thing. It's, it's the drivers that have that Ithaca fish on the back that I'm going, oh, you're a horrible driver. Well, I never put one on my accepts our lot in life, or do we turn to the wide-open, flawed, brooding passions of God and let Him let him help us in our times of stress? That's the real question. I know that life in America is hard. Politics in America is hard right now. You've got everyone and their mother, and it seems to just totally be split. People are hating people, and Sigmund Freud proclaimed 
the death of God and predicted that atheism would follow scientific discovery and modernity in the West as sure as smoke follows fire. Stubbornly pious Americans threw a wrench in that secularization thesis. Deep into the 20th century, more than 9 in 10 Americans said they believed in God and belonged to an organized religion, with the great majority of them calling themselves Christians. That number held steady through the sexual revolution of the 60s, through the ruthless and anxious 70s, through the greed is good 80s. But in the early 1990s, the historical tether between Americans' identity and faith snapped. Religious non-affiliation in the United States started to rise and rise and rise. By the early 2000s, the share of Americans who said they didn't associate with any established religion, also known as nuns, has doubled. By the 2010s, this grab bag of atheists, agnostics, and spiritual dabblers has tripled in size. From 1972, we see that there was only a 5% population in the United States that didn't believe that God existed. In 2022, it's now over 43% believe that God doesn't exist. That goes to African Americans. There's 330 million people in the United States, almost half of them, don't believe that there is a God. Why is this? Why do you think that's happening? the church is too afraid to talk about God? Is it because the church doesn't know how to answer the issues of people who think that God doesn't exist or doesn't answer their prayer? Has the church shown so many people that God doesn't exist because we continue to have moral failures by our leaders? What's causing people to walk away from Christianity? 1972, step up and fight for us in our times of distress because we don't think it turns out the way we should? Is that why people are walking away from Christianity? Is that what the church is showing people? Is that what Christians are doing? Are we safe with God? Are you finding relief and safety in God? Are your kids showing people at our places of work? What are we showing people when we go to family dinners? That's the real question I have for us. Because verse 7 and 8 tells us where we can find all of our safety. Where David found all of his safety. Here it is, verse 7. You put more joy in my heart than they have with their grain and wine abound. Peace. I will both lie down. 
the Lord makes us dwell in safety. The word in Hebrew is rashav. It means to remain in, to abide in, to sit with, to be seated with someone who can protect you. We can't find joy or peace from the food or grain or wine that the world gives us. But only in the Lord. And that's hard for many people. Because David's saying it, you can't find your peace in of the things of the world. You can only find your peace and your safety in the Lord. How many of us truly believe this? The peace that comes from Jesus Christ is the peace that we all are looking for. It says this in John verse 25, or chapter 14. These things I've spoken to you, Jesus said, while I was still with you. Verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. want safety at times of distress. In the times of inflation, how many of us are looking to our money going, man, it's not going as far. Man, I wish the government was different. Man, I wish this guy would do things more related to what I think is important. Or how many of us are looking to God going, Lord, you know, you know my needs. You know my distresses. You know that the times are tough right now. How can I look to you? Because I need a place where I can find someone to dwell in.
all I could tell him. That's all my advice was. I had a phone call last night with a guy who was struggling, having a fight with his wife, and he didn't know what to do. And I said, turn to God. I know it sounds cliche, and it comes from a pastor, but I'm like, turn to God. Open up communication with him. Let him know how you're feeling. Because in the midst of that, he's the one who's going to give you relief. He's going to give you the safety to dwell in as you're fighting with your wife. But then you've got to turn to your wife because two become one. And you've got to let her know what's going on and how you feel. And you've got to talk with each other. He said at the end, by the way, that if anyone has a problem with me, that I should send them to, to him. You know, if you have a problem with me, I'm going to send you to the guy I talked to last week. I won't tell you who that is unless you have a problem with me.
get done. We have a 15-minute break, and I just start reading again. And all the guys at work are like, what are you doing? You're like some hermit hanging out in the corner reading your Bible. I'm like, I just, I, I need to know. I want to know more. I want to learn. And so I just kept eating it up, eating it up. And I just, and then even in, when I got to school and college, I would just start reading the Bible in between classes. Or as I'd go on a break, I'd just start reading the Word. I'm telling you, life wasn't easy. And I'm not perfect. But it was this time of distress as I was struggling with, am I ever going to find a girl again? What's going to help me to turn away from drinking and going hanging out with my buddies at a, at a football game? And it was God. It was that one verse a day, that one chapter a day, that one book a week, and just kept eating it up more and more each day. We have resources. There's Bible studies for men, women, and children. And you can do these things together. And you can find other people that are doing the same thing. Find like-minded people who are looking to God. Just open it up. That's the real practical application to this. If you want to find your leader in the midst of distress, open up the Bible. Start praying. Start asking. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. And if you want a place to find safety, to dwell in God, that's where you do it. Open up the Bible. He's waiting for us. Just open up the Bible. People tell me all the time, oh, the Bible doesn't talk about this subject. Yes, it does. Every answer I get, every question I get, well, it doesn't talk about abortion. Yes, it does. Well, God never mentioned this. Yes, He did. When was the last time you opened up the Bible? That's the question I always ask the people. I get this a lot. I used to get it at Trader Joe's. God never said anything about homosexuality. Yes, He did. God never said anything about getting divorced. Yes, he did. When was the last time you opened the Bible? I don't listen to that garbage. It was written 2,000 years ago. It doesn't really apply today. Yes, it does. Let me show you where it applies. No, I don't want to hear it. How resistant are we to God and his ways? Just open it up. In fact, if you don't even want to read it, you can get an app, you can download, and he'll read it to you. us a question. What are we waiting for? Are we waiting? Do you want relief in times of distress? Do you want to find safety in a knight in shining armor? Open God up to the Bible. The greatest gift ever given to me was getting a chance to go to Israel. I'm walking around and I'm walking with my professor and my other classmates standing in the places that Jesus stood, and we start to read the Bible, and it became from black and white to colorful. I can still picture Mount Carmel. I can still picture standing at the Wailing Wall. I can still picture Jerusalem and its towers. And I'm telling you right now, the Bible becomes completely different. It's a great, joyous thing. If you have a chance to go to Israel, go to Israel and walk where Jesus walked. I still remember walking into the Capernaum, the gate of Capernaum, the city of Jesus, it says. It's an amazing thing because the Bible changes people. It becomes real. You see, when David and Goliath fought, you pick up.
the stones and bring them home. And my kids were like, you brought us a stone from Israel? You don't understand. That's from the river where David would have picked up stones to fight Goliath. Who's Goliath? Well, you heathen children. Thank you. 